0: Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to The Dark Parts, a show where we explore the darkest parts of history, the world, and your mind. I'm your host Heath, and with me today, as always, is the lovely Queen of Scream, Daphne. How you doing, Daphne?
1: Great. I'm so excited for Halloween, even though we're probably not going to really do anything other than watch a lot of scary movies, which is what we do every day, so...
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely gonna, you know, get drunk and throw candy at kids. I want to know if you
1: guys are trick-or-treating. Leave us some comments on social media because we got a shit ton of
0: candy and I have no idea if any kids are going to come and claim it. So what are you guys doing? It's just kind of like a toss-up. It's like half the people are like, nah, and the other half are like, meh, maybe. I feel like people don't know what other people are doing so they don't know what to do
1: themselves and from my point of view I'm like well what if other people don't have candy put out so if I had a kid I would probably be like unsure to go trick or treating because what if other houses aren't participating and then there's no candy and then, then what a disappointing situation so
0: it's all a it's all just a big mess it's a
1: mess speaking of halloween time it's cold out it's been like 30 degrees here it's been freezing already in here in oregon So if you guys need some more cozy clothes, like maybe some sweatshirts, stuff like that, a new mug for your morning coffee, go ahead and head on over to thedarkparts.com and hit the shop tab. We have some really fun merch if you guys are into that.
0: Well, strangers, we've discussed some pretty dark shit on this show already, but nothing could be more dark and fun at the same time than the spookiest holiday and our favorite holiday, All Hallows' Eve. Today we're going to dive into the history of the holiday, its traditions, and of course, we'll throw in a few terror tales for you guys to munch on as we go along. So grab your pillowcases and vampire fangs and join us on this week's Monster Mash and Graveyard Smash Halloween Special of the Dark Parts.
1: Before we talk about trick-or-treating and costumes, let's first take a look into the history of All Hallows' Eve. Historians explain that Halloween was adapted from the Celtic Pagan Festival known as Samhain, which is a festival celebrating the end of summer and the beginning of winter. Samhain originated in Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man. The Celtic people believe that the world between the living and the dead became very thin during this time, allowing spirits to cross the threshold much easier. They believe that these spirits, also known as Ishii, would often return to their former homes so the Celtic people could leave food and drink outside as a form of hospitality for these spirits. They believe that in doing this, it would ensure that your livestock and crops would not only survive the harsh winter climate, but they would actually thrive. October 31st was known as All Hallows' Eve, and November 1st as All Saints' Day, And then November 2nd as All Souls Day.
0: So when we're thinking about Halloween, we typically just think about October 31st. But the Celtic people actually uh, celebrated the day before and the day after and the second. So a few days in a row of celebrating. Yeah, about four days in a row of celebrating. Other traditions and rituals were performed during Samhain, including what's called mumming. Mumming is a tradition where the living dress in costumes and go door-to-door, reciting ancient verses in exchange for food. So basically, trick-or-treating. Another tradition you guys might recognize involves apples. In Celtic mythology, apples represented immortality, and dunking your head in a tub of water to bite into one would show you your future spouse. It's also said that women would use a signature mark on an apple and toss it into the water and whoever was able to grasp that apple with their teeth would then be your soulmate. Another game that was played involved making one long peel of an apple skin and tossing it over your shoulder. The shape of the peel would form a letter on the ground, which would indicate the first letter of your soulmate's name. Hazelnuts were also used during the divination rituals. Another game that was played was to roast two hazelnuts, one for yourself, and one for the person that you desired. If the hazelnuts jumped away from each other in the heat of the fire, that was a bad sign for compatibility. But if the nuts roasted quietly in unison, the one that you desired was known to be a good match. Items were also hidden in food that was baked or cooked. So if you found a ring in your food, it meant that you would be married. If you found a coin, it meant that you would become wealthy.
1: It's so funny to to hear all of this and these were the traditions for this period of time because obviously none of these carried over except for trick-or-treating and then maybe bobbing for apples, but not in COVID times. I've never bobbed for an apple, maybe in kindergarten, have you?
0: I definitely have bobbed for apples and it's a lot harder. I was than just you gonna think. say,
1: that seems so hard, especially because there's probably so much water. And like how are you like what do you pin the apple against?
0: Well, you kind of have to use like smaller apples, I feel like. I mean, I haven't done it since I was a little kid, but I remember sometimes people would just grab like the, uh, the stem and that was how they pulled the apple out. Oh, that's an easy little way. And I also know with the coin, the like the
1: coins and the rings in food, those are some other traditions from other countries as well that are still done today, but not during Halloween time, I don't think. So, Celtic people saw Samhain as a festival respecting the dead, but it would also come to be known as Mischief Night in some Gaelic areas. Pranks were a part of the Celtic tradition, and on this particular night, those pranks were rampant. It's said that young men would steal cabbage and throw them against people's front doors as a joke. Really good joke, guys. Cabbage is hilarious. Yeah, you fucking nerds. So these pranksters would often hollow out the middle of a turnip and carve grotesque faces in them. They would then place a candle in the middle of the turnip to act as a lantern. Some would leave the lanterns on windowsills to ward off evil spirits as well, by the way. So these had multi-purposes. And although it's widely believed that these Celtic traditions inspired Halloween today, there are a few that believe the holiday was created by the early Christian church. The term Halloween was adopted from the Scottish term All Hallows' Eve, which was translated into Saints' Evening in 1745. Okay, so there's a little bit of fun history regarding the origin of the holiday, but let's skip forward a
0: bit and talk about Halloween's rise in North America. So, originally, New England Puritans denounced the holiday, but in the southern states of the U.S. and Catholic colonies in Maryland, Halloween was recognized and even included in church calendars. It was due to Irish and Scottish immigration that Halloween became popularized, and some of the early traditions would make a drastic change. Instead of using turnips to create lanterns, citizens in the U.S. started to use pumpkins because they were a native vegetable, and much larger, making them easier to carve. I can't even imagine trying to carve a turnip, like a face into a turnip. That just, they seem so small. Yeah, for sure. Pumpkin was the way to go. So the first recorded pumpkin carvings were said to have been around 1837, but didn't initially have association to Halloween. The term jack-o'-lantern was created by an Irish myth of a man called Stingy Jack. And the story goes like this. Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him, but Jack didn't want to pay for his drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin so that Jack could use the coin to buy their drinks. Once the devil did this, Jack decided to keep the coin and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross, which prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. Jack eventually freed the devil under one condition, The devil could not bother Jack for one year, and should Jack die, he could not claim his soul. The next year, Jack once again tricked the devil, this time into climbing a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While the devil was up there in the tree, Jack carved a cross into the tree's bark so that the devil couldn't come down. That is, until the devil promised Jack not to bother him for ten more years. Soon after this, Jack died. And as the legend goes, God would not allow such a deceitful figure into heaven. The devil, upset by the trick that Jack had played on him, and keeping his word not to claim Jack's soul, would not allow him into hell either. So he sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. The Irish began to refer to this ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern and then simply jack o Lantern. So that's how that story came to be. It's funny how this urban legend just became so popular
1: that then now everybody knows that a carved pumpkin is a Jack-O-Lantern.
0: Right, but people don't actually know like the origin story of the Jack-O-Lantern. I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I didn't either before I started doing this research. I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who probably didn't either. Interesting story about a Stingy
1: Jack. So in the 1900s, the popularity of Halloween began to spread and seemed to have less to do with the harvest and more to do with costumes, parties, parades, and who could forget, treats. But along with those treats came a whole lot of tricks. During the 1920s, youths saw this spooky night as a perfect time to wreck havoc, as they do. Kids broke windows, vandalized buildings, and terrorized their neighbors. In 1923, in Omaha, Nebraska, the city's police commissioner decided to come up with a solution. He recruited over 500 of the city's worst boys to help report local crime to police on Halloween night. For the most part, kids just stuck to harmless pranks like toilet-papering houses or the infamous ding-dong ditch but sometimes the fun would just get out of control. In 1945, high schoolers in Toronto decided to head to a local beach and start bonfires on Halloween night. When police arrived, they tried to break up the gathering, but the kids weren't having it and decided to fight back by throwing rocks at officers. Just 13 kids were then arrested, but the other kids weren't done for the night. More than 7,000 young people marched to the police station to free the book teens. Tear gas and water cannons were used to break up the crowds. So, causing crazy trouble on Halloween, always been a thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it has kind of these rooted, I mean, obviously, we know about the cabbage being thrown at the doors. But, I mean, it really took off in the U.S. and North America in the 1920s. Like, kids were just, like, fucking assholes on this night which I mean everybody loves a good prank but these kids are like breaking windows and like I, I feel like I've
1: known that Halloween is kind of can be a prank night but I've never actually done a prank or known anyone who's like done a Halloween prank like I, I don't know if that's that's transferred over either have you done a Halloween prank
0: oh my god yeah you've you've never like egged a house or toilet paper to house oh my or god, anything. god no I'm not a dick I mean you could see it as one way I mean yeah Probably a dick move. You've egged I mean, houses on Halloween? Yeah, I was like 14. I was like 14 having fun. I well, was a good, nice girl. Well, here's the deal. The the person's house that I egged was our shitty high school's uh, liaison officer, who was a piece of shit. That guy was a dick. He actually shot himself in the hand in our high school. Like, in his office. Like by mistake. Yeah, by mistake. Like he was so rude to everyone. So we were like, eh, "Screw that guy. We're going to throw some eggs at his house, you know?" That's just what goes through your head when you're 14 and you're you're Heath. I mean, that's what goes through a lot of 14-year-olds heads, but, you know, it is what it is. If you've done a Halloween prank, let us know what it was. So, this vandalism that we were talking about had gotten so bad in Boston that the city's police commissioner was offering awards to schools with children who created the least amount of vandalism. Another way that adults handled the mischief-causing hooligans was to throw Halloween parties. Yes, my favorite thing as a kid, Halloween parties. If the kids were at the parties, they wouldn't be in the street. Or at least that was the idea. In 1950, the Senate Judiciary Committee proposed that Halloween be renamed National Youth honor day. Lame. God, nerds. And the hopes that kids would celebrate morality, responsibility, and courtesy. Weird. Just super, super fucking lame. That's not fun at all. Yeah. And of course, vandalism isn't good, but come on, did they really think that this was going to work? Anyway, the only thing that really did work was, you guessed it, candy. In order to deter kids from being little shitheads and egging your door, the solution was simple. Just hand out candy to kids. This is where trick-or-treating really came on. You could either hand out a treat or you could get tricked, aka getting your house fucked with.
1: Of course, you could imagine that a lot of candy was being handed out each year. But exactly how much? Well, last year on Halloween, Americans purchased around $2.6 billion of candy. Which I'm sure will drop a lot this year, and I'm really interested in seeing what that number will be for 2020. So kids originally used pillowcases to carry their holiday haul of delicious treats, which I did too as a kid because it was the biggest thing. that You can have the most candy. Yeah, you can fit the most candy in it. But over time, Halloween decorated buckets changed the game, which I did have as a, like a baby, but then we all did the pillow sacks. And do you guys want to know what the most popular Halloween candies are? Well, I'll tell you. 2% say Tootsie Pops. Okay, screw that. I love Tootsie Pops.
0: Gross.
1: 4% say Starburst. Skittles come in at 5%. Candy Corn somehow sitting at a solid 6%.
0: I'm a Candy Corn lover.
1: You don't like Tootsie Pops, but you like candy corn. Uh, Monster. Yes. (laughs) Hershey bars are also at 6%. M&M's at 11%. Snickers at 18%. And Reese's Peanut Butter Cups sitting at a whopping 36%. That is our boy Heath's favorite. That is my favorite. Yeah. And at the very bottom, we have bit of Honey. Duh. Tootsie Rolls. Love Tootsie Rolls. Good and Plenty. Another favorite of mine. Smarties and Necco wafers. I mean, these make sense to be at the bottom. I get it. So if you're an adult, don't be an asshole and buy shitty candy. Nobody wants Necco wafers. Nobody wants, oh, Smarties, the worst. Please don't buy Smarties. And legit,
0: nobody wants Bitto honey. (laughs) It's a candy for 80-year-olds. Just stick to Snickers. My mom loves Bitto honey, and I could never figure out why. And also, Necco wafers? Really? Yeah, not a fan. And of course, one of the best and most fun things to do on Halloween is, of course, dress up. So let's take a look at some of the first costumes ever made. In the 1890s, you could probably guess that the most popular costume for that time was a cowboy. But in the early 1900s, witches, demons, skeletons, ballerinas, cats, and ghosts really took off. During this time, there were no store-bought costumes, but rather every costume was homemade, so a lot of moms making costumes back then. And let me tell you, some of those early costumes are so damn creepy and guaranteed to give you nightmares. They were. I will post uh, photos on our social media of some old-ass creepy Halloween costumes so you guys can see just how terrifying they are. So sometime around the 1920s, Halloween masks and paper costumes had finally hit stores. Costumes and masks were created for one-time use only, and the color scheme consisted of purple, yellow, black, and orange, which are now pretty universal colors that represent Halloween. The first boxed character costumes made their debut in the 1930s, which depicted cartoon radio characters and book characters. Of course, when the TV became a household item in the 1950s, those television characters became the new hit for Halloween costumes. Minnie Mouse, Peter Pan, Donald Duck, and many others became all the rage. In the 1960s, the Beatles, Spider-Man, Barbie, and the Addams Family took the prize for the most popular costumes. And then in the 1970s, pretty much, if you didn't have a Star Wars costume, you sucked like star wars was basically everything back then but in the 1980s things got a little bit more spooky due to the rise
1: in slasher films like john carpenter's 1978 classic halloween Wes craven's 1984 a nightmare on elm street and the friday the 13th franchise which created the infamous hockey mask wearing jason Voorhees, halloween costumes took a gory and sinister turn Not to mention, Halloween decorations got more bloody, creepy, and just overall way more badass. But we'll get to the decorations here in a minute. I want to talk about haunted houses. Haunted houses actually originated in London in the 19th century. A woman named Marie Tussaud had created wax figures of decapitated French figures and dubbed her exhibit the Chamber of Horrors. In 1915, ghost houses were created to scare audiences, but the mainstream popularization of haunted houses wouldn't come until the Great Depression, when, again, parents would try to keep their kids occupied at home instead of causing trouble. Adults started creating creepy displays in their basements that kids could enjoy. And in this 1937 pamphlet called Trails of Terror, parents describe how to scare the piss out of little kids. An outside entrance leads to a rendezvous with ghosts and witches in the cellar or attic. Hang old fur, strips of raw liver on walls where one feels his way to dark steps. Weird moans and howls come from dark corners. Damp sponges and hair nets hung from the ceiling touch his face. Doorways are blockaded so that guests must crawl through a long dark tunnel. At the end, he hears a plaintive meow and sees a black
0: cardboard cat
1: outlined in luminous paint.
0: Okay, first of all, these people are literally putting raw liver on their walls so that kids could walk along like totally normal. Did you ever play that game where you could like stick your hand into a box that's like, supposed to be like a bowl of eyeballs, but it's really just peeled grapes or like Ugh. or like there's a bowl of spaghetti in the box and it's that's supposed to be like brains or guts or something. So fear factor. Basically, these little kids in the 1930s are touching raw liver. <laughs> just pinning to their wall casually. These parents just really went DIY. Yeah, but I love that. I love that there's a pamphlet For that specifically that says this is how you do it like this is how you create a haunted house for your kids in the 1930s we have a picture of it right yes i believe i have a picture of the pamphlet so we'll post that too so go take a look at it of course nowadays haunted houses aren't just enjoyed by children but teens and adults get to join in on the fun and that means that haunted house creators don't have to sugarcoat the attractions And have the creative freedom to spice them up with dead bodies, maniacs with chainsaws, blood, guts, and more. And if you consider yourself someone who doesn't scare very easily, and you think you can handle anything, well, a man named Russ McCamey created a haunted house that would probably scare the pants off of anyone. McCamey Manor, which is located in Somerton, Tennessee, is a haunted house that's so extreme. Attendees must sign a 40-page legal waiver, complete a physical and a background check, show proof of medical insurance, pass a drug test on the day of the tour, and of course, be 21 years or older unless you're with a parent the age is 18 to 20. So basically, this is probably the most insane haunted house that's ever existed.
1: I don't know why someone would want to put themselves through that kind of psychological trauma. Like,
0: it sounds horrible. Regular haunted houses are bad enough. Yeah, this is like definitely like psychological trauma inducing.
1: And we were just looking for a haunted house in our town that we could go to to do something Halloween-y this time of year. And Heath found one, but in the, on the website, it said that they are allowed to touch you. And I was like,
0: hell no. Yeah, I mean, I don't so much mind like if somebody like, grabs my shoulder or something like that's not going to really I don't want that (laughs) I mean I know you don't want that but I I mean I wouldn't really care that much as long as they're not like physically abusing me (laughs) well what where does the where's the line drawn like I don't know it doesn't say they can only just tap you
1: you know it's like they can touch you okay what can they do you know so I don't I'm not going in there
0: I mean I totally I totally get where you're coming from I'd probably be a big weenie if it came down to it and someone was touching me but I, I would probably laugh it off Be the weenie. So, for this
1: haunted house, before you even enter the tour, you have to watch a two hour film called And Then There Were None, which is a documentary based on every contestant that tried to finish the haunted house between July of 2017 and August of 2019. In Russ's wild attraction that pushes people to the limits, you experience intense audio, lightning, low visibility, strobe and fog effects, wet conditions physically demanding environments, close contact with creatures, and very real graphic scenes of horror. Instead of freaking out with bloody gore, Russ plays psychological games with folks who dare enter his maze of madness. And oh, I forgot to mention, if you end up completing his haunted attraction, he will give you $20,000 in prize money.
0: All right, strangers, one of you has to go do this and let us know. (laughs) Let us know how it goes.
1: And this haunted house is free. The only cost to get in is to give the guy a bag of dog food,
0: you know, for his dog. So (laughs) if you can do that, you can go. Yeah, he's got like five dogs on the property. And basically he's like, yeah, if you want to come, just sign all the waivers, do all the stuff and bring a bag of dog food for my dog. That's pretty cute. That's pretty sweet. But as far as I know, I mean, I don't know if anybody's actually completed it or not. I couldn't find that in my research. I'm sure maybe somebody has, but $20,000 just to complete a haunted house? Pretty crazy.
1: I'm sure he makes it very difficult so that nobody wins that money.
0: Where I'm from or where I grew up, just outside of Eugene, Oregon, there was a uh, pumpkin patch that had a corn maze there, and it was like our favorite thing. Like It was my family's favorite thing. It was my friend's favorite thing to do during Halloween. It was really, really creepy. So like you would go through the corn, but it wasn't just like a regular corn maze where you got to walk through and you got to find your way out. They had like guys running around with chainsaws. And I mean, I don't know how how common this is, but it was really creepy and so much fun. Like if you were a kid and you lived in the Eugene Springfield area in the 90s and 2000s, early 2000s, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Lone Pine Farms. So sad it's not there anymore. But used to be the greatest thing ever.
1: That sounds amazing. We I grew up in LA, so we didn't really have any like farms to go to. Uh, so I just went to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios, but I was always so scared because I'm a huge horror fan, but when it comes to real life stuff, I just get really terrified. And so I did go with some friends for some years, but I think it was when I was 21, I went with my brother and my mom and her now husband. And my mom is like a fitness freak. She doesn't smoke or drink or anything, but her husband does. And so does my brother. So I drank and my stepdad brought some edible like peach rings and he and my brother took one and then his name is Rob. He put down the bag and my mom ate three of them. And she was like, oh, I just, you know, thought I'd try it for tonight since we're going to something scary. And Rob was like, oh, how many did you take? And my mom was like, three. And he was like,
0: that's way too much. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Oh, fuck.
1: So then we went in and obviously it took some time to like hit her. But we're in the middle of Universal Studios and she's just tripping. So we had to leave. We went into one
0: maze and she was just freaking out. She was just way too, way too stoned. That sounds horrifying, honestly. Being stoned in a haunted house, that just... Yeah, I'm not that guy.
1: I know. I think she just thought this was the time to do it to kind of help with her fear, even though, you know, weed often does the opposite.
0: So. Well, yeah, depending on who you are, for sure.
1: Right. Especially my mom who hasn't done that kind of thing in so long. So anyway, that was my that was the last time I went. But we had to leave early and I was so bummed. But I
0: totally understood. Didn't you also have to leave a haunted house one time because you were like terrified? Okay.
1: So I went the first time I went to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal, I was in my teens. I was maybe like 17. I was in high school. We went, I went with some friends and I was so scared. There are basically if you haven't been, there're scare zones and there's non-scare zones. So if you're in a non-scare zone, you can eat or you can do whatever and no one's going to come up and bother you. But they're right next to the scare zones. And to get through the whole park, you have to go through scare zones. Like there's no safe way to go about enjoying all the mazes. So my friends were in this one scare zone where there were these guys with chainsaws and I was like standing back very obviously not down and this one guy saw me and he started sprinting towards me chainsaw in hand and I was I felt like I was going to be killed. I was sprinting through the then non-scare zone and he was still behind me and I was like what the fuck like you're supposed to leave you know we're in a non-scare zone now and I ran into a store. I was so scared at the top of my lungs. I was like, somebody help me. And I ran to the very back and hid in the back corner of the store. And everyone was just stopped looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with this girl? And the guy's just standing at the entrance like revving rrr, rrr, his chainsaw. I asked an employee if they could golf cart me to the entrance. And they were like, we can't do that. You have to walk back.
0: I was like, oh, my God, I got to deal with that dude again. <laughs> now you got to finish. And I can vouch for this because to this day, anytime Daphne hears a chainsaw. To this day. Yeah, she literally like freaks out. She hates the sound of chainsaws. But unfortunately, we live in Oregon where there's a lot of trees and a lot of people using chainsaws. So it's it's very common to hear a chainsaw uh, about every other day, probably.
1: It's like I have PTSD. If I hear it, I'm not even kidding. This
0: wave of fear comes over me. Like this, this experience <laughs> fucked me up. If we're talking about fears, like I, I know that your fear is chainsaws and my fear is snakes. With a passion, I hate s- snakes. They scare me. So maybe we'll just not use those <laughs> against each other. That's fair, that's fair. That's you, fair. When
1: we met and I told you about this story, I remember you were like, oh, I'm going to get you someday with a chainsaw.
0: But yeah, then I realized you'll probably just get me with a snake. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> it would be war at that point. All right, we're going we're, we're to move on. We're going to get back, to the, back thanks, to the story. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get back to Halloween decorations. Of course, freaking out your neighbors is a great way to get into the Halloween spirit, whether you put up lights hang dead bodies from your roof, or create a homemade graveyard complete with zombie hands popping up from the grave. Which, we have uh, a cemetery out front of our house this year. So, I used to use a cardboard cutout of Freddy Krueger in my window to fuck with people that were walking by, but decorations have been around for a while. In 1912 through 1936, The Denison Paper Company, who also made some of the first costumes, came out with an annual catalog called The Bogey Book, which is so fucking cute. Damn, The Bogey Book. In the catalog were different ideas and suggestions on how to make your Halloween party the most fun. So kind of like that pamphlet. With the addition of trick-or-treating came the need for adults to also make the environment fun and spooky. Original decorations seemed to be more kid-friendly, but that didn't last forever. In 1958, Mamie Eisenhower became the first person to decorate the White House for Halloween, which gave the holiday a national thumbs up in Americans' minds, who were still a bit skeptical of celebrating Halloween. In 2016, Americans spent over $9.1 billion on Halloween-related items that keep the spirit of Halloween
1: alive. I'm surprised, but I'm also not. Because we went to Spirit Halloween like a month ago, and we wanted to buy one of those figures that move and stuff, and they're like $500.
0: Yeah, man, it's just such a bummer because I want to have like multiple scary like dead body props in my front yard. But those props are like, like you said, yeah, like one of them, that uh, 12 foot tall skeleton, the one that you can get from like Home Depot, that thing's like $300. I mean, it's badass. It's 12 feet tall, but 300 bucks. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's that's the thing is some people can afford to go all out and they do. So 9.1 bill makes sense. So, of course, we have to talk about some of the rumors, myths and real events that have made Halloween the most fearful night of the year. The first myth we have to talk about is people poisoning Halloween candy. This seems to be one of the most common myths surrounding Halloween, but this really only happened, as far as we know, one time, and the culprit was a man named Ronald Clark O'Brien that lived in Texas who put cyanide in his son Timothy's pixie stick. He was called the Candyman or the Man Who Killed Halloween. But that asshat was executed in 1984. And we did just cover that case on Going West a couple days ago. If you guys want to listen to the full story, Timothy O'Brien.
0: Yeah, you should definitely check it out. Episode 92 of Going West.
1: Another myth I found interesting was the rumor that black cats were being ritualistically slaughtered by satanic cults during Halloween. Some adoption agencies even go so far as to not allow black cats or black rabbits to be adopted near Halloween in fear of this. But the ASPCA says that there is no reason to believe these animals are at risk. This gives a bad rap to cats that are in need of adoption because some people believe black cats
0: are bad luck. Which, black cats are the cutest. My sister has a black cat... Um, Black cats are cute. They're really cute, yeah. And if this couldn't get more ridiculous, a percentage of Americans actually believe that Halloween is a holiday dedicated to Satan. Among the other silly myths is that folks would put razor blades in either candy or candied apples, which again is outlandish and has never happened. I mean, as far as we know. But it did make a super great scene in the 2007 Halloween horror film, Trick or treat. But hey, without some of these silly rumors and myths, would Halloween be as much fun as it is? Sadly though, some countries don't share
1: the same enthusiasm as North America. In one article I read from the Smithsonian Magazine, it explained that only recently the UK caught that Halloween fever. In the last six years, Halloween really took off in the UK. Before the Halloween takeover... The U.K. celebrated what's called Guy Fawkes Day, which is celebrated on November 5th and commemorates a foiled gunpowder plot by angry Catholics to blow up Parliament with King James I inside. It's seen as the equivalent of the 4th of July in the U.S. basically. Some Brits aren't very happy to see Halloween have a bigger impact than Guy Fawkes Day, calling it a brainless holiday. But most people around the world embrace the holiday to a certain degree. In Germany, Halloween was not recognized until the 1990s. And in Japan, the holiday became popular due to American pop culture influence in 2009. Although some people still refuse to acknowledge it around the world. And sorry, really quick. Our friend from England, um, he I posted on my Instagram how we had decorated our house for Halloween in probably like the maybe the second week of October. And he was like, man, you guys really like Halloween over there. And he's like, Isn't it a bit early to decorate? And I was like, You don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you just don't get it. You, you Halloween it. haters. <laughs> no. I know.
1: But he but then he was he was like, It's becoming bigger around here, but it's still not really a thing.
0: Yeah. Our um Daphne's sister's uh boyfriend, he is from England. And every time I talk about Halloween, he's like I'm like, Are you guys gonna do anything for Halloween? And he's always just like, Nah, I don't fucking care.
1: They do not care. Which again, I mean, they didn't Grow up with it, like, or at least our friends in England didn't grow up with it. It's not a part of their culture. So to them, they're just like, What is this?
0: See, that's the hard thing. It's like, if you haven't experienced something like Halloween as a kid, like, I totally get why you would not really care about it. Because as a kid, Halloween is probably the greatest. Holiday of all time. I mean, literally, you get candy and get to dress up.
1: But we think that because we grew up with it and because we have great memories attached to it. So I totally get why other people aren't really catching on, but it is funny to see that
0: some people in other countries are accepting it and some are just kind of like, I don't care. It's estimated that around 85 to 90% of children in the US dress up to go trick or treating and about 65% of adults ages 18 to 34 attend Halloween parties every year. Also in a hilarious turn of events, 72% of parents admit to stealing candy from their kids, which if you guys haven't seen that skit on the Jimmy Kimmel show, it is absolutely hilarious. He basically asked parents to send in videos of them telling their kids that they ate all of their kids Halloween candy and the reactions are absolutely priceless. These kids are like, literally lose their minds because they think their parents ate all their candy. Of course, this isn't true, and I guess you could say that adults are just giving it back to kids that seem to have run the show all of these years with pranks. 69% of Americans plan to hand out candy to children, and the average number of Halloween house fires? 800 every year. 800 people got a little too crazy with their decorations and candlelit pumpkins. 83% of parents still check their children's candy, and 36% say that 12 to 13-year-olds are old enough to trick-or-treat alone. And the first citywide Halloween celebration was put together in Anoka, Minnesota, I hope I'm saying that right, Anoka, Minnesota, in 1921, and 2 million people join around 60,000 dressed-up participants in New York's Halloween parade every year. And guess what, strangers? 2020 will be the first year since 2001 that a full moon will be displayed on Halloween night.
1: So we all better be looking out for those werewolves because they may be out. But what makes Halloween so important to North Americans that we spend billions of dollars celebrating it, I'd have to say is tradition. As a kid, I never knew the origins of Halloween, and I'm sure if you asked parents, even to this day, most of them would have no idea where Halloween came from. But generation after generation have spent October 31st collecting candy, doing the monster mash, and pulling pranks on the public all in the name of fun. Horror films elevated our sense of scare with box office hits being released right before Halloween, giving us another reason to be scared. Halloween parties give us the opportunity to get freaky and let our creative minds wander with jello molds of brains and drinks labeled witch's brew or vampire blood. It's a time when the leaves cover the ground and trees turn red, orange, and yellow with the foliage, creating an atmosphere suitable for the holiday's spooky aesthetic. Halloween is a time to let go, be free, and enjoy being scared and enjoy scaring others. It's a time for us to come together and be weird without being judged, and a time for us to take the world a little less seriously, if
0: only for one spooky-filled night. So, strangers, what did we learn today? We learned that Halloween was created by pagans, and over time, taken over by American kids, who used vandalism and pranks to force adults to give them candy and parties. So if you plan on handing out candy don't skimp on the good stuff and hand out good and plenty, unless you want plenty of your doors and windows covered in a good amount of eggs and toilet paper. We also learned that you should never try and trick the devil, because it's possible you'll end up walking around in the dark with a crappy turnip to light your way to nowhere. And finally, we learned that even though you heard on the internet that bats will suck your wiener and turn you into a wiener-sucking vampire on Halloween night, or that kids are eating LSD-laced candy and forming drug-induced gangs that murder adults who don't hand out candy, or that Billy from Hocus Pocus was a real dude who comes back from the dead every Halloween night to call Bette Midler a bitch? Don't believe the hype, because the myths that surround Halloween are 99% not true and created to scare the shit out of you. Oh my god, our horror tip this week
1: is actually a bit different. In the spirit of Halloween, we thought we'd give you guys some suggestions for great Halloween movies to keep your holiday as fun and as spooky as possible since you're probably going to be home. Here's the list. Trick or Treat, 2007. Night of the Demons, 1988. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 1982. Trick or Treat, 1986. Haunt, 2019, which is a Shudder original. Idle Hands, 1999. And Pet Cemetery 2, 1992. Basically, all the Halloween movies are a great watch on Halloween night. And don't forget Hocus Pocus and Halloween Town. Yeah,
0: those are some staples in the collection as well. Oh, and Beetlejuice. Definitely got to get down on some Beetlejuice.
1: Thank you guys so much for checking out the dark parts. We hope you had fun with us today in this special Halloween
0: episode. Yes, thank you guys so much for checking out this episode. Next week, we're going to have an all-new episode for you guys to check out. Um, It's going to be really fun. We're going to continue with this show. We're going to get you guys some spooky urban legends and some tall tales. So stick around for those spooky episodes.
1: And don't forget, we have some super cozy, spooky merch at thedarkparts.com. So if you're looking for some merch, go check it out. And make sure to share this show with a friend. Especially this episode, if they're looking for something to ring in the holiday.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest thing you guys can do to help support our show. Just tell a friend, tell a family member, and uh, get the dark parts spreadin'. All right, strangers. We'll see you next time in the dark parts. <laughs>